Hello, I'm Jim Cuno, president of the J. Paul Getty Trust. Welcome to Art and Ideas, a podcast in which I speak to artists, conservators, authors, and scholars about their work. Throughout all these pictures, regardless of subject, there's a serenity. Yes. They were pictures that are meant for meditation, for standing Mm -hmm. in front of, for projecting your own thoughts Mm -hmm. on them. They invite prolonged viewing. Yes. In this episode, curators Davide Gasparato and Keith Christensen discuss a series of paintings by the Renaissance master Giovanni Bellini. The 16th century Florentine painter and biographer Giorgio Vasari wrote of Venetian Renaissance painter Giovanni Bellini that he, quote, kept growing in credit and fame and became so excellent that he was the greatest and most renowned man in his profession. Bellini was especially adept at painting the light and nuance of landscape. Over the course of the 16th century, his landscapes assumed a prominence unseen in Western art since classical antiquity. Thirteen of his beautiful and innovative paintings were on display in the recent Getty exhibition, Giovanni Bellini, Landscapes of Faith in Renaissance Venice. For this episode, I asked two curators, Davide Gasparato and Keith Christensen, to visit the Bellini exhibition to talk about the paintings and why they find Bellini's composition so captivating. Davide is senior curator of paintings at the J. Paul Getty Museum, and Keith is the John Pope Hennessy chairman of the Department of European Paintings at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Davide and Keith discuss the paintings in great detail. I encourage you to visit our website to view images of the paintings or to look them up elsewhere online while listening. So we can start? Ah, okay. Davide and Keith started with three paintings that featured the crucifixion in different contexts and landscapes, ranging in size from 20 to 30 inches high by 11 to 20 inches wide. The first painting they discussed was Crucifixion, circa 1495 to 1500, from the collection of the Banca Popolare di Vincenza. It prominently features Christ on the cross, with an assortment of buildings in the background, and a graveyard scene with tombstones and skulls in the foreground. As you know, Keith, this was the starting point for me to for thinking to an exhibition on Giovanni Bellini and landscape. Obviously, the painting is amazing on several respects because of the incredible condition, but I was always struck by the composition Uh, the fact that the cross is uh, really uh, sort of planted, but it's in the threshold between us, between the viewers and the painting, the fictive space of the picture. And then this sort of landscape, it opens up uh, in the background and it creates this incredible poetic uh, uh, atmosphere, poetic mood. You know, I remember going to Prato, because this was owned by, at that time, the bank, the the Casa di Risparmio at Prato. I was a graduate student, going to the museum to see something entirely different, and this came as an incredible discovery, standing before the picture with this extraordinary image of Christ on the cross brought up right to the edge of the picture plane, set on a rocky plateau, And then beyond this, this abundant nature, so rich, and for anybody who's traveled in Italy, one realizes that it's richer than any particular location. Mm -hmm, It's mm -hmm. an accumulation of virtually everything that he's been uh, feeling about nature. And then with these extraordinary tombstones set about in the landscape with Hebrew or pseudo-Hebrew inscriptions on them, 
the skulls in the foreground, so that you're made immediately aware that it's a meditation on mortality. Mm-hmm. Because and, usually there is only one skull here, there are all right. these skulls, there are these uh, tombstones. And then you begin to notice that the trees are barren, mm-hmm. at which point you then notice that there are new shoots coming out of one cut-down tree stump on the left. It is still in full foliage at the top. Once again, mortality and resurrection. And then there's this extraordinary path that winds back past a cliff, past a mill where you see a millstone leaning against a country house. And in the distance, this extraordinary city with uh, church towers, with domes, and behind that, a further landscape, and a figure walking alone on the path towards the city. And this, to me, Over the years, I've been thinking about this picture, seeing it again and again, each time entering with a sort of renewed awe at its richness, one realizes it's the pilgrimage of life, and that mm-hmm. it's a story of the path of life, the path of the soul from the city of man to where he faces his own mortality. Mm-hmm. And this mm-hmm. seems to me to, to register so clearly with its function as a private devotional work for somebody yes. sitting before it. Yes, yes, and this obviously... This theme of the private devotion is overall the exhibition, this sort of uh, uh, very personal and emotional encounters with these uh, subjects from Christian tradition, which Berlin in some ways is able to transform in a real presence, in something which is really happening now, happening right now. I think that one of the most extraordinary things about Berlin is that you don't ever feel that you're in the presence of somebody who has made painting an intellectual enterprise. Yes. There's a quality of empathy yes. Yes. In, the, in his paintings. Absolutely. And yeah. it's that empathy that is communicated. I've never known anybody who has gone to Venice who does not have a direct response to Bellini's work. Yes. There's a human connection. He understands the humanity in any yeah. given subject. And in this one, you know, the, this, the, the graining of the wood... Mm-hmm. Who would have thought of this intense graining in, of the you wood? You mean in the cross? In the cross. Uh, yeah, yeah, it gives it such a, such two, a concrete physical yeah, presence. Into, in the two different... And, and then you look at the feet and there is this very beautiful semi-transparent trickle of blood dripping down dripping the cross. Down. And it becomes a real emblem of tragedy without in any way slipping over into something yes. violent or yes. uh, overly emphatic. I always admire this incredibly detailed representation of uh, flowers and plants. I think uh, some botanists uh, uh, recognize like more than 30 species yeah. of uh, plants. Uh, but I was always a little bit hesitant in interpreting everything so precisely as yeah. a symbol of something. Yeah. I don't know what you think yeah. about. I think that he's a kind of Wordsworthian nature poet mm-hmm. in a Christian sense. And his vision embraced all of nature. His father was already a close observer of nature. So uh, I think this was passed on to him. In the same way that the skulls have uh, these one, two, three, four, five Five skulls, skulls. each one at a different angle. And they They always remind me there's a great still life by Cezanne (laughs) of a group of skulls on a table, which is his meditation on mortality. I think that's clearly what Bellini's thinking of, don't you? Yeah, I think so. I think so. And, and to me, uh, this idea that uh, everything is uh, precisely tied to a specific significance, specific mm-hmm. meaning, every element, it does not do justice no. to the overall complexity and the overall ability to really build a, a, a complex but also unified image. 
Uh, I don't know what you think about his way of uh, building up these sort of ideal cities, this ideal Jerusalem. Okay. And uh, if you believe that some of the buildings which are recognizable, yeah. one of the buildings is for Vicenza. sure the Cathedral of Vicenza, the other one is Cathedral so. of Ancona, there are some towers, yeah. a tower from Vicenza. Do you think they can have a meaning or it was just his way of building up an ideal city using elements uh, from buildings that he saw, that he probably drafted? Uh, yeah, my own view is that Bellini's art defines the border between a shared experience in the real world mm -hmm. and the transformation of that experience into something of a world beyond us, in this case, the sacred world. Yes. And this is the intersection. And he, mm -hmm. uh, he gathers together in his notebooks, none of which survived, but he yes. obviously had extraordinarily rich notebooks of studies of plants, studies of buildings that attracted him in his very rare travels because he was yes. a, basically a sedentary artist. Yes. Venice and his villa were really the two locations. Uh, and he puts them together and creates a sacred reality. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. For me, that's what it is. But I also mm -hmm. think that these are pictures, and this is of an overriding importance for a transition in European painting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They're it's not so pictures that are codes. They're pictures that are suggestive, yes, and they sir. were intended for people yes, like you sir. and me to stand in front yes, and sir. look at yes. and to talk about what we think is going on. Mm -hmm. In that sense, it's a new kind of painting, Absolutely. and it's a painting for the amateur, mm -hmm. for art lovers. For art lovers. And it's important that they be open-ended, Yes, that they not be They were not they... only just devotional tools, but they were able to, yes. And to... you know, there are pictures yeah. such as a great painting of, uh, of St. Francis in the Wilderness at the Frick Collection, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. where one isn't sure what the specific literary source is. And my contention is there is no literary source. It exists alongside yeah. poetry yeah. and literature. Yeah. It's an equivalent. It's an this. equivalent, but for sure, maybe with a strong component from the canticles of the creature. So yeah. this idea that uh, the painting is a sort of a celebration of the beauty of the world, of the yeah. beauty of the physical world, which is the physical manifestation of God, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Davide and Keith then moved on to another painting, this one dated circa 1475, from the Corsini collection in Florence. Again, the painting is dominated by Christ on the cross, but, as you'll hear, in a very different landscape. I wanted to ask you about the difference with the painting from the Corsini collection in Florence, where we have, again, a crucifixion with an isolated um, figure. figure. Mm -hmm. and, but the landscape here looks kind of a different. The mood is uh, totally different. To me, the Vicenza is more serene, and there is a serenity, and here there is a profound melancholy which mm. is really echoed in, this, uh, in, the, landscape. Uh, in the landscape. Yeah. Yeah. I feel exactly the same way. Uh. First of all, it's an extraordinary composition. Yes. It's divided vertically by the, the cross with this wonderful horizontal, the cross beams. The arms swoop down, and the arms are exactly echoed mm -hmm. in the landscape. Yes. And two hills that make great curves either side. So from a formal point of view, mm -hmm. it's an absolute perfect, perfect composition. composition. Yes. But in that nestled curve of the landscape, you move then to an infinite distance. Mm -hmm. And it's underscored by, again, these horizontal clouds on the horizon. Mm -hmm. It's a little like standing on the edge of the Pacific Ocean. Yes. Where so. you look out and there's infinite distance. And that infinite distance 
makes one feel very small. Mm-hmm. And it's there that you get the tragedy of the Christ. Of the Christ, and the Christ. yes. And I'm, so. it makes me think, you know, <laughs> Caspar David Friedrich, where he yes. always puts a figure in the foreground, and then, silhouetted against a distant landscape. Yes, and it's so. that quality of, yes. of, of, once again, a different kind of mortality, but the distant horizon assumes a really symbolic character. Yeah, and this also has something to do, I believe, with the sort of Flemish models that Bellini was looking at. But he transforms them. Totally transforms them. them. And and once again, it's the natural setting Mm -hmm. that becomes a vehicle for the emotional content. And that, I think, is really extraordinary. It's not just a backdrop. It is a conveyor of meaning. I think it's the great thing about Bellini, and in some way it's clear from the entire exhibition that the landscape sort of becomes protagonist as much That's as right. the figure That's right. creates the mood and helps the, the viewer to immerse himself or herself yes. into the realm of the picture, into the realm of the Christian subject. And, and it reminds one of that wonderful sequence of letters about a painting that he was to do for Isabella mm-hmm. d'Este, in which, in the end, the great poet Bembo informs uh, Isabella d'Este that Bellini doesn't like to be constricted by, by artistic programs. Mm-hmm. And it's in the landscapes mm-hmm. that he feels most he comfortable, that, and he likes to wander about in his landscapes. Yeah, yeah. And this is an invitation to the viewer to wander about imaginatively mm-hmm, in the landscapes. Mm-hmm, and I think this is one of the reasons they're so richly articulated, mm-hmm, yeah. because he wants them to give that potential of being able to explore. The next painting they discussed was Crucifixion with the Virgin and St. John the Evangelist, circa 1458 to 1459, from the Museo Correr in Venice. I think that perhaps the painting from the Correr Museum, the Crucifixion, which is in some way more traditional because we have at the foot of the cross the figures of the Virgin and St. John the Evangelist. The landscape here is really amazing. Yeah. What about you were saying about the richness and the details and the things that are happening here in this incredible landscape? I was so glad you included this for two reasons. Number one, this is one of the few pictures that really can be dated with some real confidence because of its relationship to a dated manuscript. Mm -hmm. And anybody who looks at the small images of winged cherubim up above with the use of gold on their wings realizes it's a miniature frame of mind. But the second part is that here you have uh, not just Christ on the cross, but you have his mother mourning his death and his beloved apostle on this rocky ground, and they're taken directly over from a narrative kind Mm. of point, uh, the traditional way that this is shown, derived directly from his brother-in-law, Andrea Mantegna. Mantegna. It's sort of a stage. A stage. It's a stage. stage. And beyond that, you move into this incredibly green landscape, and it's the river, this winding river with a bridge, with a boat, with a house, with the leaves rendered in a marvelous technique that gives them almost this quality yeah, of and movement. The, and the reflections. And the reflections. Of the trees that's on the, on that's the water. Netherlandish. That's, that's very inca- Netherlandish. incredibly Netherlandish. Mm, yes. So he brings together the Italian, the Netherlandish, and we can watch the progress in yes, these three pictures yeah, of how yeah. he brings them together through his own he, study he of nature. And his, his own view his, his own of view. Uh, but, he, but he starts, yeah. the impetus are two, two, are two traditions. Yes. And he sees the one for its rich mimetic quality, mm-hmm. 
the other for its extraordinary, dramatic, empathetic yes. quality. Yeah, yeah, and also the colors in these paintings yeah. I really like very much, and the the precision of the of the brush strokes. No, is really reminding of an illumination. I think these very bright uh, colors. Davide and Keith next turn to Sacred Allegory, circa 1500 to 1504, from the Uffizi Gallery in Florence. This painting measures almost 29 inches tall and 47 inches wide. You're looking at a picture yeah. with an enclosure, yes, with an elaborate, mm. elaborate uh, beautiful pavement. pavement. You know, it's a pavement that you would expect to be reconstructed up at the villa yes, here, uh, here in Los Angeles, a kind of a Roman pavement, a Roman-inspired <laughs> yeah, yeah, pavement. Yes, yes. And we, you and I both know it's, it's, a, very, it's very, a very Lombardi. Very Lombardi. Uh, very, and the Lombardi were the great architects of the fi- of late 15th century Venice, Venice, and this is a kind of rich marble encrustation yes. they love derived from Byzantine practice. Yeah. But it's this incredible enclosure with a wild, deteriorating, rocky landscape mm-hmm, in the background. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then in the far distance, you finally get to this beautiful green. Yes. And uh, always with Bellini, there is a castle fortress on the peak of a on hill. On the peak of the hill. And which, this is provocative. You know. And here, it's almost dead center. That. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you have a contrast between a castle fortress in the foreground mm-hmm. and a paradisical, uh, very yeah. serene, Uh, enclosure with, but in the with, a, with a very curious you know, group of right. sands which we can recognize, we can guess because I think uh, here on the right there are these two semi-clad figures one is clearly San Sebastian pierced by two arrows one is a nude saint an old man tanned, probably Saint Job mm-hmm. who was very popular popular saint yeah. in Venice and, and it's important to, to remind people that in Venice, mm-hmm. uniquely, Old Testament, Old prophets, Testament prophets were treated were, as saints. Were, and yes, there are churches dedicated to yes, Job, to Job yes. and to Moses. Yes. And on the other side of this beautiful terrace, this beautiful enclosed space, there is obviously on a throne, on a high throne, sort of Alantica decorated with Alantica reliefs, the Virgin, with the hands joined in prayer, flanked by two female figures, which we are not able to recognize, but they are saints, female saints. And then immediately out of this enclosed space, we see two other saints. One is, I think it's Paul, I think you agree, it's That's Paul right. with the sword, Sorry. the iconography is by, it's Paul, is a long beard. And the other saint was discussed, I personally think is Saint Joseph, because he's sort of lovingly, protectively and lovingly gazing to the figures of the putti in the center of the picture. One of them is sitting on a cushion, he's dressed and he's holding an apple, it's probably, I think it's the Christ child. Yes. The other three yeah. are yeah. holding and yeah. shaking the tree and, yeah. also and because picking up be, the apple. Because his mother Mary in the throne is yes, clearly looking is at clear. him. To me, it's a sort of a sacred conversation rotated of 90 degrees. Instead of being frontal, is rotated. And, and instead of being in an interior, it's in an exterior. But there is something, I think, which is not totally clear. We don't grab uh, totally the meaning of the picture. So my, my guess, uh-huh. my thought, is that it's a picture about... Access, access and entrance uh-huh. because the gate yes. to this enclosure is open. Is open. It's uh-huh. guarded by St. Paul mm-hmm. and he's clearly just threatened mm-hmm. a turbaned Muslim who is yeah. not allowed access. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And the question is, 
who has access to this paradisical garden. Yes, so we're so. back in that whole mm. world mm -hmm. of the voyage of life, yes, the, so. uh, the search uh -huh. for salvation, the search yeah. for meaning. Yeah. And in the background, uh -huh. in this rocky landscape, yeah. you then have this extraordinary assortment of figures. You know, you have a shepherd sitting yeah. in a grotto with a yeah. goat and with sheep. Uh -huh. You have a figure who I think we can all... We know Saint, Saint Anthony. Saint Anthony Abbot, I think. Who has walked down a path. Yes. He's on the edge of the cliff where there is a wall that's fallen into ruin. There's a cross set up. He's past that. He's walked out by a wattle fence. He's now descending the stairs. Yeah. And when he turns the corner, he he'll encounter the a centaur, the centaur, a figure from the uh -huh. classical past. I think, but I think this is in the Legenda Aura. Is, is it a golden legend yeah, yeah. when St. Anthony Abbot meets the centaur and who indicates him the way to find the simple Saint hermit? Who he will have conversations so with eventually. Perhaps this is, I think, I, I believe that perhaps the background is sort of the space of hermitage, the space, uh, I don't know, maybe of faith before, yeah, you know? know? <laughs> it, it may be, I've always, uh -huh. this is a part that has actually engaged me each time I see this picture. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. As we've always said, the, what makes these pictures so haunting is that they don't have a clear, closed a clear, program. Yes. They're suggestive. They're, yes. They're suggestive. And this is what in art historical literature we yeah. call a poesia. They're, yes, they're poetic. Yes. As in all poetry, the visual language is meant to suggest yes, associations. Mm. So you have in the background a figure driving a donkey. Uh -huh. He's followed by another figure with a stick on his shoulder. And there are two turbaned figures having, yeah, conversation. having conversation. But the wall that they're standing in front of is completely dilapidated. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. the wall behind the building is dilapidated. Mm -hmm. And so it's a city that's partly in ruin. Is this the uh -huh. Old Testament world? Mm -hmm. It certainly is not. Or is it just the deterioration of the city of man despite the castle looking over yeah. it and despite the villa? Yeah. And you know the picture has suffered some. It's yes, not. In, it's, it's not, not in the in best condi no, condition. It's not it still condition. is magical. Magical, but because the, one, the reflections, the reflections, for example, exactly. on the on the water exactly. are wonderful. But I've mm. always wondered on that villa. You mm -hmm. can see that there's a loggia for people yeah. to sit out. Yeah. But at the area behind, I can't tell whether the villa is falling mm. into ruin as yeah. well. That I'm just. Uh -huh. I'm not. Sure. Yeah. I'm not certain yeah. of. In so some, these are puzzles. Yeah. So these become incredibly in puzzling. In some ways, this painting is even more a painting for connoisseurs. In this sense, is already pointing toward Giorgione, toward That's right. the future That's right. of Venetian That's right. painting. Is where right. Bellini, in That's some right. way, meets Giorgione in this sense of creating yeah. a picture which is a sort of a puzzle, which is yeah. for cultivated right. people who were able to detect yeah. these yeah. Uh, yeah. complex meanings. Absolutely. Now, yeah. on, a, on a simple uh -huh. level of where Bellini begins, where uh -huh. he ends, in the exhibition, you can start with that early crucifixion that we looked at with the background of Netherlandish mm -hmm. uh, uh, inspiration, yes. with the way the river is shown there, and then the way the body of water is shown here, yeah. with this wonderful mirror-like surface, uh, the reflections, and an mm -hmm. atmospheric quality, yeah, an yeah. incredible atmospheric yeah. quality, I think. Christ Blessing, circa 1500 from the Kimball Art Museum, measures about 23 by 18 inches. It depicts an almost ethereal scene of Christ after having risen from the tomb. This is one of my favorite the, pictures. The, this picture the is transporting. Because here the figure is protagonist, yeah. is looking yeah. at us, it's occupying almost the entire space of the panel, and it's frontal, so it's very engaging, it's very close to us in some way, like in the crucifixion right. in Vicenza, the Christ is present. Yeah. But you know, it also has an 
heretic mm. quality. Yeah. And you recognize immediately that this stretches all the way back to Byzantine prototypes yes, yes, in so. the way it looks, mm-hmm. but transposed into a, yeah. a delicate, soft mm-hmm. sfumato, to use a Leonardo t- yeah. term, yeah. a presence of a physical body, mm-hmm. and the light in this. This is, I think, one of the places where people can appreciate the yes, beauty of uh, his sense of light. Uh-huh. The hand is raised up in front of the body in an action of blessing, yeah. and there's a delicate shadow that falls on across the, his on breast. The chest, yes. It is spectacular. It's, it's a sort of a modern icon. It's the recreation, it's the linear recreation of the Byzantine icon absolutely. in a modern way. Absolutely. In some way. And then behind him, uh, he's yes. up close to the front, mm. just as the Vicenza mm. crucifix is yes. up close to the front. Mm-hmm. We have a little opening to the sides, Two rabbits nuzzling their noses. Uh-huh. This is clearly symbolic. I think these are symbolic. I agree is, with you. Yeah, this, yes. is, this is the resurrection. This is the it? resurrection. This is because of the famous yeah. quality of rabbits to breed. And, yes. And, yes. And, 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 but then behind, mm-hmm. you have this extraordinary sequence of landscapes. Mm-hmm. On the left is the world of everyday life, yes. where a shepherd is watching his sheep mm-hmm. in the fields. And on the right, we once again have that yeah. pilgrimage. There's a church in the background yeah. with a fabulous a clearly, church towers. A clearly a small vi- village, village of the Venetian mainland. Absolutely. No? <laughs> the kind of place you're from. Yes. And then the path that swings around, and you see the three Marys uh-huh. making their way to the tomb yeah. on Easter morning. Uh-huh. And then you realize that this extraordinary dawn, yes. and the sun is just yeah. below the horizon, yeah. so that the undersides of the clouds are all illuminated with a golden light that turns gradually. Actually, pink, pink and violet and as you violet. move up. It's to me, this is the most wow. Uh, wow. moving image of it's a dawn. Amazing, yeah. It's a real dawn. It's yeah. a, in what, one of the first, yeah. I think, in Italian art. Absolutely. Probably. And then there is, let's, let's face it, throughout all these pictures, regardless of subject, it can be the tragedy of the crucifixion, it can be the mysterious allegory from the Uffizi, or it can be this resurrection, there's a serenity. Yes. And I think it's that serenity that was the key to his enormous success. They were pictures that are meant for meditation, for standing mm-hmm. in front of, for projecting your own thoughts mm-hmm. on them, and then also for extracting for yourself this extraordinarily peaceful, quiet degree. Yeah. In that and sense, I think this quality is still able to work. Absolutely. I think, because I see here the public, the visitors, they are taken by these images, they are looking yeah. very close, they are images that are really moving they, still today. They have mm-hmm. that sort of meditative quality that in 20th century art we get in Roscoe, mm-hmm. but they have a specific thereness. You know, there's a specific place, a specific time of day, a specific yes. uh, architecture, a specific landscape. That's the big difference. But they do have that same quality of mm-hmm. meditative uh, serenity, and they invite prolonged viewing. Yes. Prolonged and very intense, detailed, detailed focus yes, viewing. You know, one of the most beautiful things for me is the combination of the raised hands with the bent fingers mm-hmm, set mm-hmm. next to the barren branches of the tree in yes. which there's a bird perched against the clouds colored by the dawn light. Yeah. And just those three things, death, resurrection, and the life of the, the, world, life of the world, re-illuminated by the sun. It's really extraordinary. In his life of Bellini, Giorgio Vasari wrote, Quote, Finally, having lived 90 years, Giovanni passed from this life, overcome by old age, leaving an eternal memorial of his name in the works that he had made, both in his native city of Venice and abroad. Men sought to honor him when dead with sonnets and epigrams, even as he, when alive, had honored both himself and his country. Bellini was among the greatest painters of the Renaissance. 
and it was a stimulating pleasure to me to listen to two curators talk about his work with erudition and passion. Later that day, Davide and Keith discussed three paintings by the late 16th and early 17th century Italian painter known as Caravaggio. We'll share that conversation in two weeks. Our theme music comes from the Dharma at Big Sur, composed by John Adams for the opening of the Walt Disney Concert Hall in Los Angeles in 2003. It is licensed with permission from Hendon Music. Look for new episodes of Art and Ideas every other Wednesday. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Google Play Music. For photos, transcripts, and other resources, visit getty.edu slash podcasts. Thanks for listening.